0: Slash James. Netsuite.com slash James. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. I have a quick announcement before we get started. I have a new book out, and it's totally free for my listeners. And you know what? I'm not even publishing this book on Amazon. I just think this is really valuable. I want you guys to read it and I wanna give it to you. It's called The Side Hustle Bible. I wrote this book because the economy is changing. You need side hustles to break the barriers of corporate America and live the life of freedom that we all want to live. to choose yourself. I love the idea of trying lots of things to make money and seeing what works and what doesn't. And this book is a collection of proven opportunities, 177 to be exact, to turn your hobby or existing skills into an entirely new source of income. That's why I called it the Side Hustle Bible. All you have to do is go to www.jamesfreebooks.com. That's www.jamesfreebooks.com. Each method has the potential to move you closer to that new car, new house, or vacation. These strategies are tested and proven. But don't take my word for it. You will see in the chapters. Go to jamesfreebooks.com to see how others have created a profitable side hustle with this free book. All these people took action on just one of the ideas in this book. I'm excited about what this book can do for people. I hope you let me know what it does for you. Or I love to hear results. Claim your free copy of the Side Hustle Bible today before they're gone. The first step is grabbing your free copy by going to www.jamesfreebooks.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You're not just a mentally strong author and social worker. You're also an entrepreneur, and I might even have some ideas for you to how to make it better, or at least I have questions for you.
1: Wonderful. Well, I've always had some sort of a side hustle, usually something fun or strange. And for the first time, I could make money in my sleep. Even if it was only $5, at least I made some money. So it was exciting. You 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 just never know how much you're gonna make.
0: How were revenues growing and what were you doing?
1: I guess over time, I went from a few dollars the first month to a few hundred and then before I knew her up to a few thousand dollars a month which again when you're a social worker a few thousand dollars to make on the side is huge.
0: Yeah you could quit your job.
1: Right exactly that's so I kept thinking you know is there a point where I could quit my job?
0: Was that your goal? Did you want to quit your job?
1: That was sort of the dream someday to be able to to not have to have a nine-to-five job. Both of us Steve and I both don't like to be tied down to say you have to live here you have to go to work every day.
0: It just goes to show that even when you love what you're doing, being kind of constrained in any way is is difficult, it's not, it's not the human condition.
1: There's something about having the freedom of knowing that on Monday morning you don't have to be there at 9 o'clock or that you can be a little more flexible. So that sort of turned the corner for us. We said, let's just start these smaller businesses, pick a niche, show that it's profitable, and then we'll sell that website.
0: So I am so happy because, as the producer of this podcast just reminded me, your best customers are your first Uh, – Steve, what's the quote? (laughs) Oh, um, your best customers are your return customers. Your best customers are your returning customers, which is a quote I told you at first, but now I forgot it. And I have on the podcast Amy Morin, author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And you have 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do both great books. Last time you were on was a few weeks ago. We talked all about the 13 things mentally strong people don't do. We talked about your story, kind of how you used these 13 items that you talk about to come back and bounce back from tragedy. And then after the podcast, we were just sitting around talking and you mentioned all this extra entrepreneurial things you and your husband are doing to make money. And I'm like, you have to come back on and share this with the listeners cuz they're really good ideas, simple ideas to execute. And I think it's related to the fact that you know, because you've built up this mental strength and you're able to reach outside the box of your career and the career of your husband and you do this kind of very new century or or very kind of modern way of of making money now. And so I wanted to talk about it.
1: Sure, I'm happy to. And I never really get to talk about that aspect of things, so it's fun to be able to talk yeah, about. Yeah, you're not
0: just a mentally strong author and social worker. You're also like an entrepreneur, and I might even have some ideas for you to how to make it how to make it better, or or, or at least I have questions for you. Wonderful. So let's start off. Just tell me how it started. What's what, how do you make money outside of social work and writing?
1: Well, I've always had some sort of a side hustle, usually something kind of fun or strange, and. um I had a friend who owned a jewelry store, so I knew the markup on jewelry was incredible—like two hundred or three hundred percent.
0: So, like jewelry, like a diamond bracelet. Yes. Okay. Yes,
1: fine jewelry, and
0: so, like a diamond bracelet might sell for uh, ten thousand in a store, but what might the actual, like raw wholesale, like even pre-wholesale price be?
1: Well, you know, the jewelry store probably buys it for say, 3,000, and they sell it for 10,000, maybe 4,000. Because
0: there's no market for diamonds, for instance, so nobody knows how to value diamonds.
1: Right, most of us, you walk in a jewelry store, you don't really know what you're looking at, right? And unless you are really into it, you don't understand the diamonds and the quality and all of those fancy words they use. So I knew the markup on jewelry was huge.
0: And and design, design, uh, I mean, there's jewelry designers, and that kind of makes every piece of jewelry unique, so it's not like you can say, well, this is what This bracelet costs here, and this is what this bracelet costs in Tiffany's. They're two different bracelets.
1: Right. Even though they
0: might have roughly the same quality diamonds.
1: Right. So sometimes in its heart, you can't really compare apples to apples. So. And if we have men that walk into the jewelry store to buy something for their girlfriend or their wife, often they have no idea what they're looking at, right? <laughs> and the
0: sales lady is like, oh, you know, they, there's a, there's persuasion techniques used in the store. right? So you feel guilty just walking out of there not buying anything. At least I do.
1: Right. If you liked your girlfriend, you'd buy this. But if you really love your girlfriend, you'd right. buy her this. <laughs> and so I knew that it was huge. And I also knew that jewelry is fairly inexpensive to ship because it doesn't weigh anything. And so we had talked about over the years about how do you turn that into something. And my husband and I decided to start a a jewelry dropship business so that we could sell jewelry online. We didn't actually have to see it, didn't have to physically handle it. We could get it shipped direct to the customer. So
0: So shipped from where?
1: um, So there's a jewelry wholesaler that most of the jewelers in the country use. It's the same company that everybody uses, based in Louisiana. And the trick is to be able to get an account with them. That's one of the tricky things um, because you have to be a jeweler in order to get an account. And then... Um,
0: what does it mean? Like, what, do you have to be licensed to be a jeweler or something? Right.
1: Most, I think it's probably different from state to state, but you have to get a jewelry business license. And uh, and you have to prove that you have a jewelry store before you can get an account.
0: So you have to have a physical store?
1: And Well, you don't need a physical store necessarily. Um, they had this... Sh- small period of time where they were allowing people to set up electronic stores and you could get an account. I don't think they do that anymore, but we got into it at this period of time where they let us do that.
0: So now you have to have a physical store. I think so. And what, what's the name of the company in Louisiana?
1: Stuller, S-T-U-L-L-E-R.
0: And so the idea is you would basically like, let's say, set up a website of diamonds that you don't, you know, jewelry that you don't own, but people could, would buy them through. You would brand them as yours. People would buy them through you. You never have to carry inventory, you just make the order directly to go from Stoller to the to the customer.
1: Right, it would, so if somebody would go to the website, they would order it from us, and we would have to turn around and place the order um, from the wholesaler, but then we could put the shipping address as the customer so it never physically came to us.
0: Would the wholesaler put your branding on the envelope or the packaging?
1: You could do that, we didn't usually choose to because it cost extra and we wanted to do this as inexpensive as possible.
0: Okay, and so... so um so so then what did you do? You set up a website selling your with, with all the all, basically all the jewelry items possible or what did you?
1: We picked, you know, there's thousands and thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and all these different items and I didn't want to pick really expensive stuff because I didn't know a lot about jewelry and I thought what if I sell a diamond ring and somebody wants to return it and they put a different stone in it. I wouldn't know the difference because I'm not actually a a jeweler with expertise. So we still Do you
0: have to have a refund policy?
1: Um, you know, you don't, but uh I was afraid people wouldn't buy from us if they thought they couldn't get a refund. So we chose less expensive items. So with our first store, we would choose like silver necklaces, some gold stuff. But we didn't do as much with diamonds, especially not giant diamonds for engagement rings um, for that reason. But and in, in the beginning, our first store, we set up pretty much a store with a hodgepodge of items and thought, well, let's just see what sells, what people are interested in. And then we'll narrow it down after that. And so there'd be some necklaces, some bracelets, some rings, some gemstone stuff. It was a random amount of items, I guess, that people were buying, but it gave us an idea of this is what people are willing to buy online, site unseen
0: and And uh, uh, how did you drive traffic to the to the site?
1: You know initially neither of us knew a lot about how to do it and so we would do lots of different random things so Yahoo Answers was something back then this is a few years ago so I would go in and answer things on Yahoo Answers. So
0: you just like people would ask questions like what what piece of jewelry should I buy or what diamonds are good or what silver is good and I don't know what questions would you answer?
1: Yeah. So if somebody said, I'm looking for a necklace for my mother, what kind of necklace should I get or something like that? I would just go in and offer a suggestion and I would link to to our website. And so that helped to at least get us started.
0: And I guess because it's coming from Yahoo, which is a, a high ranking site on Google, would that then make your store higher ranking on Google?
1: Right. And so I had written for enough sites. I, was, I had already started writing at that point. So I knew that at that time google was really interested in uh, links from other sites back to your website so at the same time i would go on to help a reporter out and if anybody was looking for any kind of jewelry expertise i would go in and answer those so i would get links back from lots of credible sites that way too which helped us in the mm. in the rankings
0: and and um and then you would get a sense of so so i have some ideas about that first off but then you get a sense of um what people wanted to buy by, like, were there some products that nobody would buy and other products that everybody would buy?
1: Yeah, exactly. So then we would figure out, okay, nobody's interested in this particular line or they're not interested in buying, say, rings that were maybe 14 karat gold or something like that. But, And then we also started figuring out, too, you want to make sure that you have certain keywords because I knew that I was never going to compete with real large jewelry stores for, like, diamond ring yeah. Never would I come up to the top, but if somebody wanted to Google a specific name of a necklace that had come out, I could at least compete with that if I made it really specific.
0: Um, how do you, how would you make it specific?
1: Uh, so, for example, we sold um, Hershey's Kisses jewelry for a while, so it was Hershey Kisses chocolate necklaces or something like that.
0: So, if someone had Googled chocolate necklaces,
1: right, that would show up. So I would figure out at somehow least somehow that
0: seems sexual. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> like some weird fetish thing.
1: Right. So I'd figure out at least, you know, what kinds of keywords would I want to compete for and go and go after those. Um,
0: how how would you go after them? Like buy them on Google?
1: Uh, yeah, well, we started a blog and we started doing stuff on um, social media, and then um, and then I figured out Google AdWords for a while too. So if I could make sure that we would come up near the top, and if we were the lowest price, I would do a lot of research as to what other retailers were selling stuff for, and if I could compete price wise, then. Um
0: so 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 so, how would you know what AdWords to buy? Like, because there are tools to figure out what um, are kind of good cheap AdWords in your industry, for instance, but did you use those tools or were you just guessing?
1: Uh, Some of it in the beginning was guesswork, but Mm. when we figured out what was selling and how people were arriving at our site, then we would say, okay, this is what people are interested in already. How can we drive more traffic for that? And over the years, when we sort of shifted our business to do specific niches, that's how we chose which we got into, like, um, different mom necklaces or things like that, and then we would really narrow it down rather than having this big broad site that was hard to drive traffic to
0: so so like let's take mom necklaces as an example, that still seems like a broad category to yep. buy on Google like right. for AdWords, so how would you target that even further?
1: There was a specific brand called Posh Mommy of necklaces mm-hmm. that was being sold, and um people were googling posh Mommy, so I knew if I bought Google ads for that, we could come up at the top, and if I was twenty dollars less than everybody else, we would win the click so and people would buy from us,
0: yeah so so your very first month launching. The store, you launched a store, you did like Yahoo answer stuff and some basic stuff. So almost nothing. Right. How much money did you make the first month?
1: Oh, good question. Probably not much at all. Um we probably sold three or four items in the first month, and I was thrilled with that.
0: Well, because suddenly you 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 have something you created and a check is coming to you. Right. So it's still exciting no matter what. Absolutely. Because then you know, okay, if we just accelerate what we're if we're if we hit the accelerator on what we're doing that number is going to go up. You knew you had some engine where you're making a profit. As long as you know that, you could then just do more of it and you'll make more money. Right. Once there's a profit, it's good.
1: That was my thought too. As a, I was a social worker doing therapy, so I was working You know, the billable hour. I could only make so much in an hour. And for the first time, this was something like I could make money in my sleep. Even if it was only $5, at least I made some money. So it was exciting to know. And... You know, you just never know how much you're going to make. Tomorrow, somebody might come in and buy 25 necklaces and you might make thousands and thousands of dollars in 60 seconds. So it was always that excitement that would drive me to, to keep going and figuring out new things.
0: And was your husband excited too? Yes. What was his job? I forget.
1: Uh, he's a plumber by trade.
0: So now he's a jewelry <laughs> dropshipper, an online entrepreneur.
1: And suddenly, right. And in the early days, because I didn't know too, how do you do customer service for an online business? And so... um. We used his phone number and he would get phone calls. He really didn't know anything about jewelry. He'd get phone calls and he'd answer it, and people would be like, I'm not sure which necklace I should buy. Which one do you recommend? And so then we're thinking, this is crazy. He's giving online jewelry advice over the phone to people about which necklace to buy. He really knew nothing about jewelry, but he would just give them an answer and then they would go for it and then he'd buy it.
0: What he, you know, it reminds me of like, um when you ask the waiter, what wine should I get? And he always recommends the second most expensive. Like never recommend the most expensive because then they think you're just trying to sell them something. Ah, uh, don't get that one, get, the, right. get this one here. Cause then it seems like he's not trying to sell you the most expensive.
1: So, right. Would
0: that be what your husband would do?
1: Exactly, so he's getting, people are calling and they're saying, you know, what kind of, um I can't quite decide between which mom necklace I should buy, you know, the round one or the square one. And he'd say, oh, I really like the square one. That's the most popular one. And people would, people would say, okay, thank you. <laughs>
0: I mean, they're probably both good. I mean, they're right. obviously both for sale. But uh, uh, so what was what was like your margin on on these usually? So uh, you would buy them for what and sell them for what?
1: You know, so we could buy something for maybe $40. We could sell it for 120
0: And And again, you're not spending the 40 in advance. You're only spending it once you got the order.
1: Right. Which so, is the,
0: the smartest way to do it.
1: Right. Our only cost was what it cost to create the website, which was pretty low. So. Could you get
0: it even cheaper, like if you buy it in China or, you know, have some chinese manufacturer
1: you probably could and we Mm -hmm. didn't ever explore that we just wanted a us wholesaler who could who would directly ship and to make sure shipping was fast enough and we wanted to make sure we had a us-based company that if we had problems somebody we could call on the phone that kind of stuff
0: Uh, that makes sense yeah even if you're sacrificing a little bit in margin to have someone you can call is very smart
1: right and they were really you know reliable and good about if we were to um have a problem where there was an issue with shipping, something like that, you could call them up and they would answer your question or address the problem right away.
0: Do you ever consider going to like pawn shops to get your wholesale jewelry? Because they get jewelry super cheap.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they they, they, do. They
0: they get it essentially for free.
1: Yeah, we didn't want to own any physical products. Uh, We just wanted to be able to have sort of a laptop lifestyle that if we eventually someday got to the point where we could live off of this, that you could just go wherever you had a laptop and an internet connection and, and make it happen.
0: So probably pawn shops should get in the business of being the wholesaler, right? So for, for online stores that want to dropship like you, that
1: would be a good idea.
0: Yeah. So so okay, that's notching that down as idea number one. <laughs> um. So so okay. So so I want to understand more. So you um, how did you? What did you do? Month three, month four, or how 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 are revenues growing? And what were you doing? You were sort of getting into AdWords, uh, and how are revenues growing?
1: Uh, yeah, so I guess over time, uh, you know, it went from a few dollars the first month to a few hundred, and then before I knew it, up to a few thousand dollars a month. Which again, when you're a social worker, a few thousand dollars to make on the side is huge.
0: Yeah, you could quit your job.
1: Right, exactly. And so that's so I kept thinking, you know, is there a point where I could quit my job? Um, and you know, we, was
0: that your goal? Did you want to quit your job?
1: That was sort of the dream someday mm-hmm. to be able to to not have to have a nine to five job because I just. Both of us, um, Steve and I both don't like to be tied down to say you have to live here, you have to go to work every day.
0: Yeah, but you went and studied and got, you know, educated to be a social worker and you were helping clients and right. patients. And um, uh, but it just goes to show, though, that, ev- that there's many ways to help people. And then even when you love what you're doing, being kind of constrained in any way is, is difficult. It's not it's not the human condition.
1: Great. I just wanted to, you know, I love my job. I really liked it. But also there's something about having the freedom of knowing that on Monday morning, you don't have to be there at nine o'clock or that you don't have to eat lunch during the 15 minutes between your, between your patients that you can be a little more flexible. So even if I, and I eventually did, I sort of uh, cut down my hours and I was still writing, but we had this jewelry thing and then I was able to just be a part-time therapist, which was wonderful. So part-time
0: therapist, writer, obviously, because you Mm -hmm. get advances and sell books and and so on, and you're writing. Well, I'm sure, what's your next book going to be? I'm sure you, do you have a deal on your next book. I
1: do. 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do.
0: Okay. Did you did you mention that last time? Did you, I don't think you had that deal in place last time.
1: Uh, we, it was in the works. We really haven't... Yesterday was the day that we sort of officially...
0: Oh, good. Congratulations. Thank you. When's 13 Things Mentally Strong Men Don't Do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Funny you ask. We were talking about that yesterday, too, as an option for maybe down the road. All
0: right. You're going to have to... Uh, I'm going to have to read that one. Okay, so... You start fairly quickly making a few thousand a month. Then what's the next decision you made?
1: Well, so then somewhere along the line, Steve's dad got sick. And uh, we decided that it made the most sense for Steve to go help with his family. And um, his dad had terminal cancer at the time. So I didn't know if I could do everything on my own. Even though the website didn't require that much, it was just a matter of taking the orders that came in and then making the orders with the wholesaler. And it took maybe just a few minutes a day. Can you
0: hire an intern to do that?
1: Probably could have, Um, but in rural Maine on short notice or I could have probably found somebody online, but it was just, it was a really quick thing that we, decision that we had to make. And I don't know how to run the behind the scenes stuff with the website. Steve does all of that. And I don't know about it. So if the website were to go down or crash or have a problem, there's not, I wouldn't know the first thing about it. So
0: you could probably have um, just gone on a site like freelancer.com and found a company in India to manage the site for you. For almost nothing,
1: right? For probably like a thousand bucks a month. Probably could have. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it wasn't. We didn't even think about it. It was just um, he had a couple of days to figure it out, and so we decided, well, we'll shut it down. And then we thought, well, that's crazy. We've done all this work, and to suddenly just take it offline, um, didn't make a lot of sense either. But you know, you can't really close your online store. I mean, you could, but at the same time, we didn't want to close it. So I said, well, maybe somebody would buy it, and. We weren't sure anybody would because we weren't selling any physical product. We were just selling a website um, with the idea that it might make you more money, but there was no promises. So at the time, there was an auction site called Flippa. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, you know. yeah. Um,
0: an auction site for domains, right? Right, usually yeah. for
1: domains. So we said, let's let's try to sell it on there and see what happens. And wasn't sure anybody would buy it. Um, so just threw it up there really quickly. Waited a couple of days, and people started bidding on it. And I thought, wow, I can't believe this.
0: What was the first bid?
1: I was probably in the hundreds. And even that, if I'd gotten a hundred dollars for it, I thought, well, that's better than than closing down, the yeah. store. So let's see what happens. And then, you know, the day before um the auction was supposed to end, it went up to five thousand and seven thousand. And I thought this is incredible
0: so so they were buying it basically for more than you made in a month because you had the system all in place, and they figured, oh, this is great. I'll just make I'll make back the money in two months and then and build and do things they didn't think to do, like more SEO stuff and right. and, and you were probably selling it cheap, no matter what. You sold it for, like, what did you sell that first site for? I
1: think the first one went for about fifteen thousand.
0: It's incredible. So, so, and how long after you started it did you sell for fifteen thousand?
1: Um, it was probably it was probably less than a year.
0: That's great. So, all together, you're probably making at that point a few thousand a month. Then you sell it for fifteen thousand, and you had been just working on it like a few minutes per month, just after you uh, did the all the initial setup.
1: Right. And so then I was, after that happened, I thought, oh, maybe that's what we should do then is just start companies and then sell the JobShip business. And so that sort of turned the corner for us. So then um, Steve's dad eventually passed away. And after he did, we got back into it and said, let's just start uh, these smaller businesses, pick a niche, show that it's profitable, and then we'll sell that website. And so that um, really turned our business model into something else. So then we started creating um, mom necklaces, for example, or purity rings or something else. that were. What's a purity ring? So people who decide they're going to be abstinent until marriage, uh, teenage girls will wear these rings. They're really inexpensive. Um, Maybe $35 are usually silver rings, but that was huge as far as people Googling it. Um, So we thought, okay, we'll start a a website just for that.
0: So, okay, if it's $35 and let's say... You could buy them for five dollars. I don't know what mm-hmm. you could buy them for. And then, how much were you spending on uh, advertising each one? If you if you take kind of your your marketing spend divided by all your units sold, how 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 do you think uh, how much you think you were spending on marketing per unit sold?
1: Um, I think for that particular website, none. The other thing we figured out was we'll start selling on eBay, and if we use the name of our company as our eBay name, then people would just Google the name of your company and figure out that they could get cheaper on your own website.
0: Uh, m- meaning, wait, I don't understand. So you started advertising on eBay?
1: Well, we started selling, selling on eBay. eBay. You were an
0: eBay seller. Yep. And then that would drive up your Google?
1: And well, and so then our we had our, our site, our jewelry website, and then we would make our, our eBay name the name of our website. So then if somebody were going to go to eBay and look for Heart Ah, shaped. Free advertising. Right.
0: You could have also set up stores on like Etsy. Right. Um, I guess you could have advertised on Craigslist. Right. So uh, probably free ads in most cities. Right. Um, I see that's interesting.
1: Right. And so we started doing that. And we then we got an Amazon account, so we started selling on Amazon as well. And as long as we had something that people were specifically searching for, so for instance with these purity rings, uh there was they were named something. I don't recall their names off the top of my head at the moment, but but people would really want this specific ring, so then they'd be Googling the name of it, and it would come up on eBay, but then it would have the name of our store, and then it would drive people to our store because on our store, we might not charge for shipping or we'd be a little bit cheaper than eBay since we didn't have to pay the eBay fees. So then some people would still buy from eBay, but they would also drive traffic to our website too.
0: And so how much per month were you making on the purity rings?
1: Um, I would say probably in the thousands again.
0: And then, when did you decide to put up the whole site for sale?
1: Um, I think we kept that one open for probably six months or so, and said, "Okay, we can. We have the paperwork. We can show how much income it's making, and we're willing to tell people how we did it." So we put that one up for auction too, just to see what would happen. And it was in the same realm. It was probably in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollars range that we were able to sell it for. And I thought,
0: why wouldn't people think, okay, instead of spending fifteen to twenty thousand today, I could spend a month and maybe one thousand to build this site? and then do everything she's doing and quickly scale up to, you know, a few thought I guess they just didn't want to do the work. I, I think know. it's
1: that, and it's we. It's really hard to get a wholesale account because by then they'd sort of close uh. this door. So if somebody bought one of our sites, we could uh, sort of give a bill of sale or show that we sold it, and then our wholesaler would allow them to become um, one of their retailers. But without that, people couldn't directly just go to the wholesaler anymore. We got in at just the the right time so that we were able to have a, an account, but other people couldn't.
0: Okay, so we'll, we'll address that in a second because it sounds like this is like an, an obstacle, but I, I don't think it quite is. But okay, after purity rings, what, what did you do?
1: Cremation necklaces.
0: Cremation necklaces. What's that?
1: So uh, necklaces that if you, you have grandma cremated and you want to have some of her ashes in a necklace, then you can wear her around your neck. And they come in different shapes. There's hearts or there's ones for pets or... Um, Again, they have names that people would specifically be Googling for these necklaces.
0: And do you think that, is that like a fad or is that something you could have built into a big business because you could do deals with all the crematoriums and...
1: Right. And so I think, you know, and some of them have those already. So some funeral homes say, you know, have their own catalog and that sort of a thing. But um, but yeah, it was something that we thought, what do we do with this now? How do we turn that into into something? Or do we need to become the wholesaler for other people if they wanted to, say a um, a vet's office maybe who, when they cremate pets, that people would want to buy these. So we had really thought a lot about that, um, which direction we wanted to go, but ultimately we decided let's sell this one too.
0: And how much did you sell that one for?
1: In the twenty thousand dollar range.
0: Wow! So you're now you have to be quitting your job. Like now, this is like you're just churning it out, and you know it's not going to stop. It's never going to end. People always need things, and you're always and they always want things cheaper. I mean, I guess it could end if physical stores just. I don't know how how could this model end, and we'll we'll go into more ways that how you can expand it. But how could that model end?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there are endless opportunities and there's always new lines of jewelry coming out and, um, you know, the latest fads. And
0: it's always going to be marked up like 200% in stores. Right. Unless they stop marking it up as much. But even that, I I don't even know though, they have to mark it up that much because that's how they pay the rent.
1: Right, so people that have brick and mortar stores have to. And, you know, one of the problems with, say, eBay is after a while people start undercutting each other to the point that some items after a while just... It's pointless to sell because you'd only be making two dollars on each item and it so, so you have worth to keep it,
0: finding every six months it sounds like you have to keep finding like the next like how would you ser- how would you find out I mean there are there are tools to do this, but how would you find out what people are uh, I mean your ideal thing is to know what people are searching for this month that seem like a little bit odd um, that you know you can build a store really quickly out of?
1: Yeah, we didn't have like a really good way to do it other than sort of trial and error by looking at the catalog from our wholesaler and then I would get onto a place like eBay or Amazon and see what other people had listed and then to see what they were actually selling it for and if they were selling. How can you
0: tell if they were selling?
1: You can can check on eBay like um, completed items or sold items and you Mm. can tell whether they've sold Mm. 20 of these or one of these or if they've listed it 800 times and it's never actually sold. So it was sort of that sort of research to say, okay.
0: So eBay's got this data, basically. Right, are right. there sites that compile that data about eBay?
1: You know, there probably is. I don't know what they are. So it's, they-
0: so it's so funny. Like, a lot of people think you need all these, like, sophisticated internet tools and stuff. You guys were, essentially were running blind right. and launching business after business and selling them and making a profit. Like, I mean, did you ever have an unprofitable month?
1: Um... You know, in the beginning, probably. Uh Um, But then when we figured out, okay, you know, let's do mom jewelry right before Mother's Day, or let's do heart-shaped stuff right before Valentine's Day, we figured it out. You know, that you just, if you want to advertise during certain months, uh, it's well worth it. But if you advertise too much in other months, you're not going to make any money.
0: And so, it's almost like this itself is a business that you could keep doing this, and I don't know, it seems like this idea is scalable. Like, you can, why don't you make like 100 sites at the same time, 100 niche sites at the same time? Do exp- high end jewelry, low end, do other products, do, I don't know, uh, I don't know, what other products can you do like this that can drop up luggage, uh, clothes, uh, perfume, of course, is marked up, huge probably.
1: Right. Yeah, I think you could. I think if you could figure out how do you get a wholesale account with somebody. In a reliable wholesaler who will really make sure that stuff gets shipped when it's supposed to, and you figure out okay, how do I, how do I? you
0: can do watches.
1: Yeah, a lot of that kind instruments. of instruments. Right, right. And then you can just if you can create the website, list the products, and make sure that they're actually going to ship them when they say that they're going to be shipped. Then yeah, you can definitely do this with lots of stuff.
0: So okay, what did you keep on doing? Have you, have you just been like turning out site after site, or what? What other modifications did you make to this business model?
1: Well, you know, for for a while, because that that was taking off in its in its own and it's passive income once you get it going, fairly passive anyway. But then it's somewhat labor intensive up front to pick your products and list them on your site. And so then my writing career has taken off since then. So that's become more of my main. Um, gig is now writing and marketing and selling books and that kind of a thing and speaking so uh, the jewelry has taken a back seat
0: and but your husband hasn't like hit the accelerator on it
1: you know i use his technical skills for i sell an online course and that kind of stuff so i use most of his time for for (laughs) my writing stuff and my speaking stuff and all the um behind the scenes stuff for that so
0: it seems like this is so scalable why not do both things
1: Well, we probably should. (laughs) This might be just what I needed to motivate me to get back in that business. Because
0: I feel like what you can Mm -hmm. do is, again, you can hire, I don't know, just some kids to, to, you can say, okay, uh, cremation necklaces, and they can identify all the products on the wholesaler. They can build the site uh, and set up all the kind of e-commerce, back-end e-commerce stuff. You could show them what you were doing for marketing. Like, here's here's the the 15 websites I Mm -hmm. hit. You know to answer questions or to blog or to um we also set up a store on ebay we set up a store on amazon you could probably hire them for like nothing um just kids in the area and uh or or you know outsource on fiverr or freelance and uh uh again like make a hundred different sites
1: right that's probably what we should do to just get it going and then you know just outsourcing all of that
0: Did you ever do high end jewelry? Did you do diamond rings?
1: you know, we did some higher end stuff, but we actually ran into some problems with credit card fraud. Ah. Uh some people who some people in America who had fallen for those ads that you see in the paper that are, you know, repackaging stuff and shipping it to Russia, and so I think the people in America were scammed as well, but we had three separate incidents where people bought stuff from us with um stolen credit cards and then people in America were reshipping it to some foreign country where the scam was actually happening. Um, And then because the people who own the credit cards would say, hey, that's fraud. I didn't buy that as the company. We were then liable because we accepted the credit card number. And so that was, we know that nobody's going to do that with a a $30 ring, but they'll do it with a really expensive diamond necklace. And so we got taken three separate times on that. And we thought, okay, first of all, we're going to get much better at looking for uh, things that may indicate fraud, but second of all, let's not sell the really high-end stuff because of that. Well,
0: well if you set up your credit card processing through something like PayPal, do they have kind of good uh, fraud detection mechanisms? Um... How, how would you do your credit card processing?
1: We tried a couple different things. We used Stripe, and we had used PayPal at one point, and at the time, they didn't. Um,
0: I mean, they're probably all equ- equivalent anyway.
1: Right. And so then it was up to us to look yeah. and see if something seemed like it might be a little bit off, or if the shipping address was different than the billing address, or something is like there, that. Is there
0: is there a product opportunity there, creating an extra layer of fraud detection um, services for? Because there's, there's other companies out there like yours. I mean, if you and your husband, basically, not to not to be insulting but basically if a social worker and a plumber are putting together these sites month after month and making decent money on them enough to quit their jobs probably there's other couples right or people out there around the entire united states that are doing this they could probably use some simple software to because uh, they want to sell higher end items but there's some ba- you probably have like 20 fraud detection tips you can make the software for it and sell to all these dropshipping companies.
1: Yeah, I suspect there is, you know, if that doesn't exist, that that would be a wonderful business.
0: Oh, here's an idea. Why don't you do dropship business in a box? So there's probably people who are listening to this who want to know, oh, this is a good idea. Where do I start? Oh, go to dropshipbusinessinabox.com and why don't you sell this business just like pre-canned? I- uh,
1: I think that's a great idea.
0: <laughs> and w- so, what happens is you'll set up the basic website, the Amazon store, the eBay store. You all, everybody works through your uh, wholesaler because they can't get the account with the wholesaler anymore. So you're taking kind of like a maintenance fee per month, and and then you sell the you sell the product once. You know the, the site and all mm-hmm. the mini stores and all the other sites, and then the maintenance fee allows them to keep using your wholesaler. And you could even sell customer service and fraud detection. Find it. Now you have a real business that right. you could then sell for millions oh. afterwards.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think you're onto something.
0: <laughs> so there you go. So so what other what other products did you consider or did you do?
1: You know, we just stuck with jewelry um, because once we got into it, we said, okay, we at least are learning and understanding this a little bit, and then we would get into.
0: And that's also the area where it's probably the biggest markup, right?
1: You know, as far as what we could find, without getting into huge shipping costs, because if you get into heavy items and stuff, yeah. then shipping gets crazy. And shipping for jewelry is usually like four ninety five, and it's insured and that kind of stuff. Um, but we could, you know, as our wholesaler expanded, they got into engravable jewelry and things where they would do specific things, like set certain birthstones, and and so it allowed us to look like we were, you know, really doing all this cool stuff, and people could order customized items.
0: So wait, I want to go to Stoller for a second. We're right here, live in the podcast. <laughs> um, so S-T-U-L-L-E-R? Yep. Oh, it looks like I've even been there before. Or it just popped up on my thing. Um. So okay, uh, new at Stoller? Let's see. How can I shop set up services? So let's see. Let's see what I need to do um oh no that's like actually making a store uh i don't know how to find out if uh quick shops let's see jewelry or bridal
1: i think it'll let you look i just think it won't show you the prices because you don't have an account
0: ah yeah so how do i set up an account do i go under resources. That's
1: where the thing comes in where you have to show that you have a jewelry license and there's this big stack of paperwork and you may even have to show pictures of your physical store at this point.
0: So, so, so a couple of things there. One is, like, if I'm listening to this, A, it's not that hard to set up what looks like a physical store. Mm-hmm. Like, I can just rent for a month right. a, a physical store space, put some jewelry in it, break even on the store if there's any foot traffic at all and now, boom, I can start this up and the license you're you're you don't have to renew your your uh thing with them right
1: right you have to show at least at the time you had to show that you had fine jewelry sales so some do that? so that's where it would be, get a little bit trickier so you would have to have fine jewelry in your store and then you'd need to be able to show receipts that you've bought it from other wholesalers there's more wholesalers than just dollar um we just chose them in particular but so if you could get an account with other fine jewelers who maybe have less strict rules?
0: Yeah, like why wouldn't wholesalers want as many customers as possible?
1: I think because they didn't want people selling them for uh, lower prices online,
0: uh, or maybe they didn't want to antagonize the real bricks and mortar stores that right. are their main clients. Right. Like if this, if Zales is like the main client of this wholesaler, and Zales is like, what are you doing? Like exactly selling every letting every mom and pop set up a dropship account. That's not a, that's not cool with us.
1: I think that's it exactly. But I there's
0: mean, probably some wholesale like these. These wholesalers get their jewelry even cheaper from somewhere else. So there's probably wholesalers who could even focus on the drop shippers. So they they probably don't specifically focus on drop shippers if they require a bricks and mortar store. So there's probably better wholesale. There's probably more choices out there. Is what yes, I'm saying.
1: yes, there are. And you know, I think. The dropship part with stellar is fairly new. For a long time, you had to; they would only ship it to jewelry stores, and then you would have to yeah, reship ship it for that it, which... reason
0: because they don't want to antagonize their, their their bread and butter clients
1: exactly. But
0: you can also, and this is where, so you're you're we're gonna we're gonna get to this part, which I want to go through your 13 things mentally strong people don't do in terms of like how you use those ideas specifically to set this up, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, but. Uh, you know, one of your th- 13 things mentally strong people don't do is, uh, uh, let's see, I, it's this one specific one. They don't fear taking calculated risks. So you have to decide what uh, your level of risk is. So your level of risk was you didn't want to have to deal with China because you didn't want to, uh, you, you know, you wanted to have someone to call. It, it felt more accountable to you to use somebody in the U.S. that you could call or even physically visit. And, and who would speak your language and so on so right. so so you figured that was a level of risk you were willing to take it was calculated they were they were a legitimate wholesaler they had customers the website looks very nice that they have so you took a a, a calculated risk even if it meant um not making potentially as much profit, but you know the risk wasn't so bad that it could you know make you lose a lot of money all of a sudden if if the Company disappeared, or whatever. Like that wasn't going to, Stoller wasn't going to disappear. Right. And and their customer service was still going to be responsive to you, and the drop shipping would be fast and cheap and and so on. So so you took a calculated risk, and that helped you to make this decision. Other people could take a calculated risk by saying, okay, I'm going to do a lot of research on. Chinese wholesalers or like Alibaba or Ali, there's, there's, there's Chinese sites set up to help with drop shipping. And so they could take a different type of calculated risk and do a different type of research and say, okay, this is, I'm willing to take this risk and, and set up your business as well. So your type of business.
1: Yes. And for us, it was just a matter of saying, you know, I really want to sell, uh, reputable jewelry. I want to make sure that Again, it gets we, there. Yeah, we didn't know much about jewelry, so if somebody said this is 14 karat gold, but it was just spray painted in the beginning, I wouldn't have known the difference, and I'd have no way to tell. So I didn't want to start selling items that weren't what I was saying that they were. But I, I had faith that Stuller's items were um, authentic, and so I had no concerns about that. So that was one of the big things and, for me. And
0: you felt um, as long as it's making a profit, you don't need to make you don't need to make you maximize the profit per item because you can accelerate uh, the your expansion like you could you could advertise in more places for instance as long as it was always profitable right so so you didn't really need to say I I you didn't you, you said yourself okay I'm gonna give up some profit per item because I can expand in this other way right as long as I'm using this very this was an important calculated risk I'm using this very reputable wholesaler yes so uh, um. You don't waste time. So your number one rule for mentally strong people, uh, mentally strong people don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. And I imagine when you dealt with uh, the fr- the the fraud cases, there was an opportunity to feel sorry for yourself and yes. say, oh, this is not going to work because we can't expand to bigger items. But did you waste time feeling sorry for yourself or what did you, you- what did you do?
1: Yeah, you know, initially, as soon as the first time that it happened, I thought, okay, we, you know, we're in over our heads. We have no business doing this. You know, people are bad. People are stealing from us. Um, I was really upset about it, and I was thinking, okay, you know, yeah, we, it was
0: like, like you, it's like weird when you suddenly encounter evil in yes. the world. Like somebody was on the other side who was really like a bad character, right? And you didn't know, and he was faceless, and he was like robbing you, basically,
1: right? And then I felt bad too because the credit card owner called us. And said you know like what is this charge
0: oh yeah because they're gonna shut you down if right? you don't fix it
1: right and so we had this conversation and and then i felt it's really scary. bad that we had taken their credit card number and and done this and um you know we had the address of the person in the us who had it shipped to them and so we contacted that person and then figured out okay if that person isn't evil she answered this sketchy ad but i don't think she had any ill intent i think she really just thought wow for some reason, this person in Russia is going to pay me to reship this and didn't think about it. And because I was angry at her, but then I figured out, you know, she was part of this too. And I don't know who the person in Russia was that did this, but, you know, I just thought it's terrible that these things happen. And so there was a part of me that thought, okay, we shouldn't do this anymore because people are going to take advantage of people like us and it's not fair. But then I realized, okay, instead of feeling bad, how do you just say, how do we Reduce the chances that this will happen again, and um,
0: you take a calculated risk. You figure out where the risk level is, and then you calculate it and and move forward. Exactly. And and the other thing, like I said, is um, at the exact point where you feel sorry for yourself, that's uh, that's a business opportunity, right? So you could have said, okay, well. These twenty item, this checklist of twenty items seems to have occur in the fraud cases. Let's build software to recognize when that happens and sell to the fifty thousand other dropship companies. And then now we have a product company which you can sell for a lot more, a lot larger multiple of revenues than a dropshipping company. And so I think any moment of pain, uh, uh, you can all you can also view as a, a business opportunity. I so- think so too now mentally strong people don't give away their power i think the idea itself like what what made you first start even thinking of this like uh you're a social worker your husband was a plumber like did you just go into a jewelry store and say whoa that's not worth ten thousand dollars it's worth one thousand dollars
1: oh you know i've always loved business but i didn't know any business people i grew up in rural maine and we just don't have you know other than the corner store but i've like loved the idea of owning a business but didn't know anything about it. but So for my whole life, though, I've always done strange little side hustles that would earn a little bit of money. Like what? Um, I totally trained cats for a while. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, you can make money at a lot of strange things. But that's
0: not scalable either, but it's interesting. Uh,
1: right. And it was easy to do because I would, you know, I just did it on paper. I gave people a plan but told them it was unique to their cat, but it wasn't necessarily. So, so
0: basically, by, by doing these little hustles, you built up a sense of, okay, there's some problem here. That has value. And then, and then, and so you'd learn to recognize where there was a, a pain point. Like, so with jewelry, yeah. a pain point is, uh why am I going to sales and paying, or I shouldn't make fun of sales specifically, but why am I going to a jewelry store and paying five times what a whole set? Like, yeah, you knew something and you figured, oh, this doesn't make sense. Let's find a better way.
1: Right. And I had a friend that owned a jewelry store, uh, or she was a jewelry store employee, and I knew what jewelry cost, and I knew what they were selling it for, and I just kept thinking, "That's incredible that we sell these things for so much money when it's a ring." Well, I'll
0: tell you, I'll tell you a secret. Promise not to tell anybody I've ever been married to. Okay. So it's just between you and me. Of course. And all the jewelry I've ever bought anybody um, comes from. Uh, so, so my business partner, his family owns a a big pawn shop, and so that's a great. So I would always get the family discount, basically, essentially, what they were getting the jewelry for, which is almost nothing. And then, boom, you could buy anything from a pawn store. You can get Rolexes for nothing. You can get jewelry for nothing. I mean, I don't wear anything, but as gifts, might as well. Instead, you can buy a Tiffany's level. You know, if it costs X, you're probably paying about one-fourth of X. Right. So. Right. And, and so that's how I would do everything. Don't tell anybody, though.
1: Okay, it's our secret.
0: So, but yeah, that's a big markup.
1: Right. And, you know, I just I knew that I felt like, gosh, you know, that's so much money. And if I didn't have a store, then I don't need to make that much money. If I made $20 on it, I'd still be making a profit. So it was always something sort of in the back of my mind. And then but I didn't have the technical skills to do it. I didn't know the first thing about building a website. But along came Steve, who's somebody that teaches himself how to do things and then just goes for it. And so he he figured it all out. How do you start a, a website? How do you pick a domain name? How do you do all this back-end e-commerce stuff? But
0: And by the way, just going to like Squarespace or WordPress, oh, there's a, a billion tools to make that super right, easy. Right, So and, Or going on Fiverr for a hundred bucks, you can probably do it.
1: Exactly. And so, and he was willing to do that. So once he figured that out and I thought, oh, okay, then let's go forward with this. Let's try it. Let's see what happens.
0: And so, okay, so, but that was a way, and your rule number two, they don't give away their power. You were, by having multiple sources of income, it's almost like a cliche phrase now, but you were a social worker, he was a plumber, you were, get, You were. this was pre-you writing these books, but you were about to start writing these books, uh, and that has become a great source of income for you. And then, not only were you making money from, the sales, but then you were also selling the websites. You had like basically five sources of income and you could keep all of them going for not really that much effort. So, so let's say you lost your job as a, so let's say you were fired. Uh, you didn't give away your power. You're still, okay, I was fired from that. Now I could put more time into building more stores. So you suddenly took your financial power back by doing this
1: exactly and the freedom of just knowing that that if you were to lose one source of income or something else happened that you'd be okay and you can just put your energy and time into something else was incredibly freeing in itself
0: yeah so we're like i don't think i don't think um plumbers ever uh, plumbers plumbing is great because you probably never give up your power as a plumber in the sense that plumbing is always breaking down it's not like the only problem for a plumber is if every house within Thirty miles has perfect plumbing, which is never going to happen ever. Particularly, like you know, if you live in like in a storm area or I don't know, everywhere. And not only that, people will get desperate. It's like even worse than losing a cell phone. Like if your plumbing stops working, so they're calling Steve, your husband, and saying, "Get over here now! We'll pay double." And so he's never has to worry just with his job in general. But unless he works for somebody, but uh, but this was another way to diversify away from that anyway.
1: Right, and then to know, you know, if, if we do this, then, you know, you get to make your own hours, you can put as much or as little time into it, and it's just a freedom of knowing.
0: And also, there's a certain mobility there, too, like, uh, for him, uh, a danger would be as if you decided to move to another state, and then he has to kind of rebuild his, his business, and, and his reputation, and word of mouth, and so on, and uh, here, you could be anywhere doing this dropship business.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, you, why, why don't you move to Puerto Rico, where there's no federal taxes, and run it from there?
1: You know, we probably could. We'd move to Florida and spend most of our time there,
0: and no state taxes,
1: right?
0: So, state taxes in Maine, yes, there are. All right. Um, clearly, rule number three: they don't shy away from change. This was you were constantly making changes, like every month, right? And and changing ideas. They won't. They don't waste energy on things they can't control. I'm trying to think how that um, applies here. Um, while you were able to control. Um, the drop shipping, you know, that was part of your calculated risk. Um, you were able to control, uh, you, you couldn't, you were saying before, you couldn't, if you were, if you dealt with China, you wouldn't be able to know if you were, if they were just spray painting the gold or whatever. You wanted to really know that you can control the quality right. to some extent. So that was important to you. Um, they don't worry about pleasing everyone. Uh yeah so in your customer service what if somebody called you up really unhappy like oh I don't want this anymore
1: you know in the beginning because I in college and stuff I'd work in customer service and I worked for other people where you always had to be nice and you always had to be polite and do whatever people said and so the first time that somebody complained I think their jewelry didn't arrive on, on time and they were complaining because you know they needed it yesterday and you know I'm all apologetic and I'm saying I'm so sorry and then it clicked for me ah. I own the company. If I just want to say to you, sorry, but, and then I'm not going to continue the conversation, that's fine. Or if I choose to refund your money, I can, but I don't have to. And it was okay to let some people be dissatisfied. That was fine. And that was incredibly freeing, too, just to know.
0: But I guess you're, you're, you personally like are hiding behind the anonymity of your corporate wall. Mm -hmm. So it's not, so your company wasn't pleasing everyone, but. Sometimes I get worried personally when I feel like I'm not pleasing everyone and that's 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 hard for me. I think this is your your hardest role probably for me because I do feel the need to to please everyone.
1: I do too and it's sometimes and so in the beginning you know if somebody said gosh you know I got this necklace and it was two days later or something my first impulse was to say I'll refund your money. But then I figured out at some point too that sometimes the people that complain the most or the people that have the most questions up front they could easily suck up all my time. Like 10% of the customers were the ones who were going to complain about something anyway. Yeah. And so I figured out, you know, let's give the 90% of people who are probably going to be satisfied with pretty much whatever they get, let's give them the effort and the attention and the 10% of people that maybe are chronic complainers, that that's okay and they can complain.
0: Uh, let me ask you a question. This is unrelated to to this. I'm asking, uh, I'm asking you as a therapist now. <laughs> um, so I have to cancel an engagement that I had said yes to. Um, where I I don't feel like I'm too busy now. I I don't want to fly and spend three days and then fly back. I think it's okay to just say no. I'm going to disappoint them.
1: (laughs) I do. You know, it's hard to do. If you're somebody that really likes to do that, that's tough. But sometimes to say, you know, I'm going to take back my power or it's okay. And that, I guess it's trusting and knowing that that they'll be okay too. That although you're important and they enjoy your company, that when you say, no, I can't make it or I overscheduled myself or I... Overestimated how much time I'll have. I can't do that anymore. That they might be disappointed, but their world will continue to. I,
0: I get, I take it like five steps ahead, and I get mm-hmm. worried. Oh, word will spread yes. <laughs> that I'm the type of person who does this. But maybe I don't want to get invited to as as many things. I don't know.
1: Well, that's that's the other side, right? Because I have the same problem sometimes. Where I'll, I I want to say yes to everything, and then I just realize, you know, I need to be careful of my time and how I spend it and who I spend it with. And um, but that's a healthy thing to do too. All
0: right, you're a very good therapist. Well, I might. I'm gonna call you. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, they don't dwell on the past, so uh, it sounds like you kept moving forward with the business model. Like you'd make these sites, you'd sell them. That was, which was the next stage of the business model. You, uh, you'd start the next thing, learning from the past without dwelling on you know whatever mistakes that you thought you would repeat. But I do think there's so many opportunities here to create like businesses on top of this that actually have real equity value, mm-hmm. meaning you own something and have contracts with clients that can't be taken away from you and then you could sell that as a much bigger business so i would i would i would think about that a little bit um clearly you didn't make the same mistakes over and over like you you learned pretty quickly like in the fraud situation um what were some other mistakes that maybe you made in the beginning
1: choosing the wrong keywords or advertising too much it was tempting especially like over the holidays to say let's Just keep advertising because tons of people are buying jewelry at Christmas time. But
0: why wouldn't you keep advertising then if it was profitable?
1: Well, because you know it was a matter of monitoring. Okay, which what's actually working and what isn't. And uh, sometimes we didn't put the time in. We just want to make money. I would, anyways, to say.
0: So it's funny because calculated. So it all gets back to this calculated risk, which is how much calculating you're doing and how much risk you're willing to take. Right. And so you, you, you were basically. You wanted to make the calculations be as simple as possible and no risk or little to no risk. But other people can have can plug in different things there. They can say, "Well, I'm going to put in a lot more research, so I could take a lot more risk." And um, so, so uh, that could be another way to not make the same mistake over and over.
1: Yeah, at the time for us, it was just supposed to be a small little side project, and I didn't want it to be super stressful, so it was a matter of just saying if it earns a little bit of money, that's great. Um, But, you know, and a few years later, now that we know more and things are a little different in our lives, we could choose to say, let's put in more risk, let's go for it this time and see what happens. And if we lost um, money at this point, it would be okay. You know, at the time, as a struggling social worker and plumber, we weren't... um, able to take on too much risk but we're at a point now that if we had some problems that that would be okay so I think if we
0: because also you've expanded your source of income right you're doing all these books and and so on Um, you did you resent other people's success like if you saw other drop shippers that were like huge on and you saw what they were doing on eBay and Amazon did you
1: kind of resent a little bit yeah there were times I'd look on eBay or something and somebody would you know undercut us by a dollar And I'd look and they just sold 25 of the same items to somebody else. And I think, oh, you know, (laughs) if we we had only been $2 cheaper or if they hadn't gone in there and done that, then we could have just gotten a sale of 25 necklaces.
0: How could you have been aware? I mean, could you have been aware that they had just moved the price a dollar cheaper than yours? Clearly, they were aware of you. So that's why they went a dollar cheaper. Could you have been aware of them?
1: Yes. I think if it were our our full-time job, you know, I'm sure that there is ways on eBay to, to track certain yeah. things. Um, uh,
0: again, drop ship business in a box. That's, right. that's a piece of software you either write or include with the box. Yes. Um, so that I think, I think some of these words like like resentment or, or feeling sorry somehow seem to resent pain points that could create businesses on their own.
1: I think you're right.
0: So uh, they don't give up after the first failure. What was your first failure in this?
1: You know, there were months that we didn't make money, and then I would think, okay, if we didn't make like any the, money, the, the
0: gig is up, the jig right? Is up. We
1: put in all this time, all this effort, and we're spending money to keep the website going. And, like, hello, we sold two products, you know. <laughs> and the matter of thinking, is this really what we want to do? Does this make sense? Because,
0: how would you change your thinking to avoid the failure?
1: I think then it was a matter of thinking, okay, if we didn't sell that many products, what can we do better next month, and just really figuring out is it the products on our site? Is it that our website doesn't look professional? Is it that we um, you know, are selling the wrong things? It was just a matter of really just taking a step back and thinking about what can we do better next time.
0: So, so, so there's like, um, you would kind of identify the multiple factors that may or may not contribute to success and just see how you can improve incrementally each one and then, right. and then test things and then see what works the next month. Right. Did you ever fail like three months in a row? Um,
1: what would have made you give up? Hmm. Yeah, I guess if we had failed, um, maybe six months. If it, if we were losing money, it. Yeah. Over the course of six months, and there was no. Because it's not hope, like a
0: fun hobby or something.
1: Right. So. It would become more stressful than it than it would have been worth to say. Well, yeah. why would we do this? Because it's labor intensive at first to put the photos on the site and to, you know, list all the information about the products and all of that, it takes some time to put that in there. Did so, you have a
0: plan in advance of starting the business that um, if the, if XYZ happened, you would give up?
1: No, we didn't really come up with a clear plan. It was just a matter of eh, let's see what happens. And right. I, but I think if it had if it had been a few months and we didn't make money or we started losing more money, then I would guess about the six month mark, we would have said there's no point.
0: I think that's probably been true for me in businesses at this at the six month point. If it just feels like it's even if it feels like it's stagnating or slowing, I usually say, Okay, it's time to rethink this, right? So, um, I've even done that. Well, I used to do a podcast with Stephen Dubner, you know, Stephen Dubner. Mm-hmm. So, we used to do this podcast, Question of the Day, and the podcast was actually doing well. We were doing a lot of downloads per episode, but it was like not improving, and we didn't feel like we were creatively improving with it. And so, after a few months, we did just Decide. after a few months of that kind of feeling of stagnation where traffic sort of stayed the same and we didn't feel like we were creatively getting better, right. we just decided to give up on it. Even though it was profitable, it just wasn't wasn't worth it. Um, they don't fear alone time. That uh, uh, might not apply here, but I guess you have to be alone to kind of like do all of this online stuff, but, you know, right. apply here. And we can deal with my therapy session after the podcast. <laughs> uh they don't feel the world owes them anything, so you had to put in. That just means you have to put in the work to to do this. And
1: right, and just because you build a website doesn't mean you'll make money.
0: <laughs> right, because then, well, yeah, then the opportunity there is to identify all of now that you have this asset, this 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 uh, deal with Stoller, the wholesaler, plus this website that where everything is functional. You had this functioning business, if. Uh, if it's not working, you just had to find more channels like, oh, let's put the store on eBay, let's put the store on Amazon, let's put do Google ads, uh, whatever. Um, and then you clearly didn't expect immediate results if you sold just two or three products the first time. That kind of just showed you proof of concept. And right. then you're able to hit the accelerator.
1: Right. Yeah. We just needed to know if we put up a random website with a whatever jewelry name and a domain, you know, will anybody buy jewelry from this no-name place so we just needed to know is that the case and then once we figured out yep people are willing to buy it from somebody they've never heard of then let's build this how do we go from here
0: so so there's a cup so so if someone's listening to this uh and they're like oh they did it why can't and they were just in maine she was a social worker he was a plumber um i'm an accountant at a fortune 500 company but i'm in a cubicle and i want to do something else uh what are the obstacles? There's clearly getting the deal with the wholesaler, but it sounds like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of options. You took kind of the safest one, but again, with a little more risk or a little more calculation, someone could find a different wholesaler. Right? Can someone just call you and say, hey, can I borrow your license? Oh,
1: like, good question. Like, like
0: here's a business for you. Can you um, resell your license or, or rent out your license?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe they
0: have to keep your brand somehow, but maybe your brand is just on a bunch of different websites. Right. Like here's what. Uh, let's say your name is I don't know, uh, Amy Steve Inc. Um, they could be Amy Steve Dash Jewelry or Amy Steve, sure. Steve Dash Rolexes, and uh, and you could just sort of franchise this relationship you have.
1: Right. Yeah, I think you are probably onto something interesting.
0: Uh, what's another obstacle?
1: Um. You know, I guess just the creating a website, coming up with a, a name for your jewelry company or logo or all of that sort of thing, which you could easily outsource to, to somebody else. Yeah, if, it's
0: got to look professional. Right. People are putting their credit card numbers there. Exactly. Um, what's Um And I think if people see you on Amazon, though, they think you're credible. I think so, too. So, Am- Amazon, uh, people are still more likely to buy something on Amazon than to drill through the store because it feels like Amazon's going to take care of any problems. Right. So... Uh, like I buy stuff through third-party resellers on Amazon, and I don't think I've ever gone through to the reseller because maybe I'm stupid and I should, but I haven't done it.
1: Right, but it feels like there's an extra layer of protection. That yeah, if, and, and Amazon, I have to say, if you sell jewelry on Amazon, they actually check your stuff. So they would randomly tell us send us these products, and they would check it for quality control.
0: So you would have to have inventory a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, we could always just ship it directly uh, to Amazon from but you'd our. You have whole to buy center. it out of
0: your. Pocket, them. right?
1: Because they they break it, they you know scrape the gold off, or they do these things to really check are your pearls actually pearls, that the, kind of stuff.
0: Then again, you're buying it wholesale, so it's not that much money,
1: right? And it was it's worth it to you know, spend this money in order to sell on Amazon because I think there is that level of trust from people if they're going to buy something on Amazon, they feel like okay, it, it's the real deal.
0: So 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 credibility is an obstacle, but there are these ways to 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 avoid it, and then I guess an obstacle is kind of getting that initial notice but I mean, initial people finding you. But A, you can kind of focus in on what you think people are searching on that month yep. and try to be a first mover, like, okay, uh, mom's Valentine chocolate necklaces or whatever. Right. And, you know, get as specific as possible. And you could, you know, there's probably plenty of sites you could put cheaper ads or um, uh, uh, or, or answer questions like you did on Yahoo Answers or Quora or whatever. Um What's another obstacle?
1: Uh, well, another one was how, how are you going to deal with returns? Are mm. you going to give out your home address and if somebody buys something and then says, I don't like this, and then they return it to you and then you're going to keep it in inventory. Uh, wholesalers usually you have pretty strict rules about returns, so sometimes you can't return it to them. So what we did is if somebody returned something, we'd just sell it on eBay for a lower price just to get rid of it.
0: That's like how a pawn shop works. So with a pawn shop, let's say you were going to give me a watch and what you get, if you're a customer of a pawn shop, what you get is you're not selling the watch, you're just getting a loan. And if you pay back the loan in like 30 days, you can get the watch back. But the loan that I'm going to give you, I'm going to check immediately. Before I give you the loan, I'm going to check on eBay. What's the lowest price I, that this is selling for? So I know I'm going to at least get that price. And that's the loan. I'll, I'll do maybe a loan even less than that so that I know I'm going to make a profit. At least in the worst case scenario, I'm stuck with this inventory. Right. I can sell it on eBay for double what I just loaned you, and and uh, and since most people live, leave their stuff at pawn shops forever, then they just resell on eBay for this, these prices or in the store or whatever. And a pawn shop business is a great business, but this this that's a bricks and mortar business, right? So this is like uh, not quite an equivalent of that. Like it's just it's a, there's just some parts of the model overlap. Um, so so that's a smart way to deal with that obstacle. Uh, so what's is there another obstacle? You have to have someone who can answer the phone for customer service,
1: right? Customer service was another one to. But figure
0: Zendesk out. you can use now, or there's like all sorts of customer. I think Zendesk is the customer service. There's all sorts of ways you can outsource customer service,
1: right? If and then again, it's just about finding a, a reliable person that can sell your products. Because we found that if you were available and people could ask you a question right now and you could answer it, then they would buy right now.
0: With with. Were most of the calls like, what should I buy? Or were most of the calls, I want to return this. Do you accept returns?
1: Um, we tried to, we had to frequently asked questions, you know, about returns, shipping time, that sort of thing. But sometimes it was just people needed reassurance. Hey, I'm buying this for my girlfriend. Do you think she'll like it? Sure. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. So then after a while, we started a, a live chat. And so, um, and it was just when one of us happened to be available and we could have the laptop sitting at the table, we would turn that on and something would go off when somebody wanted to chat with us. And we'd find if you just gave people reassurance and you were a live human being that seemed to reassure them that this is a real company.
0: And um, another, let's be realistic on the time you spent, because another obstacle is like, well, uh, someone's raising five kids and is an accountant during the day like how much time realistically did you and steve spend per month on on this
1: initially a lot uh because of their first website we probably had hundreds and hundreds of products so that took a really long time but once we figured out you don't need 800 products you need maybe 55 products but they're the ones that actually sell and we would start websites that just had those products and we knew everything off the top of our head about those certain products so that we could answer questions or so that we could make sure that each product was up-to-date with all the latest information. I would say then it was just a matter of inputting orders, so it might just be 10 minutes a day.
0: 10 minutes a day, so that's, that was it.
1: Right, because it was just be And
0: again, that could have been less if you just got like a high school student to do this for minimum wage or whatever
1: right because it, you know you didn't certainly didn't need a degree or an education in anything to do this it was just a matter of taking the order and then reordering it with that person's address and your credit card number with the wholesaler and that's literally all we had to do
0: yeah so i guess i guess a this is still a feasible idea and b there's a lot of opportunities i think Within it that you didn't even really fully explore because you, I think your mindset was probably, oh, this is just this is a reliable, safe, and and this is just a a source of income rather than like a business we're really gonna build and throw all our energy into, which would have been a whole different thing. But maybe you could have made a lot more money, or still could.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I think you know it's taken twists and turns, but there's no reason why we can't now take more twists and turns and do. do it with a different angle. Why do you think
0: everybody in the world does this?
1: You know, I don't know. Whenever I talk about this, people really get excited and they're like, wait, tell me more. How could I do that? Yet, I don't really find anybody that does. They get excited hearing about it, but then they don't go on to do it. Um, Why do you think? I don't know if it's just the work or it sounds like it's... Tack- like it's going to take a lot of time and energy or well, they're just scared. I don't know.
0: When we went through this list, though, of the 13 mentally strong things, there actually were a lot of uh, not just obstacles, but things that hit pain points that you work through. You use right. your own thirteen list of 13 here that to get through and the, the pain points, and maybe a lot of times people can't get through those.
1: Right, I think there's a lot of fear of just, you know, the fear of what if I fail, the fear of what if this doesn't work out or if I'm going to lose money or I don't want to invest all this time. And I think even though it's exciting for people, the fear outweighs the excitement and they don't just go for it.
0: Yeah. What? Um, uh, I had another question that bothered me, but I kind of forget what it is right now. Um do you think you'll do it again?
1: You know I think so, especially when when I talk about it I get excited and I think I'd oh, say I want to do it. It's just fun stuff and I'm just reminded of how how easy it was and how I mean I used to wake up in the morning just excited to to go check my email to see if we made any money in our sleep. And like for the first time in my life I would get up hours early just cuz I was excited and then when you'd see that we'd sold something in our sleep I was just this is amazing. I made money last night by not doing anything. <laughs>
0: That's a great feeling. It is so well. Uh, I'm 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 excited. I'm I was excited when you first told me this. I'm like, oh my gosh, we should have gotten this on the podcast. But I think our last podcast was like two hours, and then and then we drove all over Manhattan, getting you lost. <laughs> I was like, just to tell the story, I was you, you needed to get to Harper Collins, and I know Harper Collins is. All the way up in Midtown, but you were dealing with this one specific office downtown. So we literally went, I figured it out, we went nine miles out of our way <laughs> to get you to the right spot, which in Manhattan, with Manhattan <laughs> traffic, is very, not nine miles, it's not like a minute, a mile. You're going like 10 miles an hour. So it's a long time. So I apologize about that. Well,
1: again, since my New York geography is not very good, you think I would have noticed or paid more attention or been able to figure it out sooner that I was headed in the completely wrong direction.
0: <laughs> so I'll always pay you with one more idea I have for you. You should do thirteen things mentally strong entrepreneurs don't do,
1: and then yeah. you could write
0: this story. Uh, you know your your experiences and all the kind of you know mental obstacles and other obstacles along the way that you use the your thirteen to to fix.
1: I think that's a great idea because I think that. You know, the statistics on entrepreneurs and mental health shows that they're at higher rates of depression, anxiety, all of that sort of thing. but and it's scary to be an entrepreneur. It's scary to go out there and do that stuff. So I think it does take a lot of mental strength to say, I'm gonna go out there and build this and keep going and go against the grain sometimes. You
0: no, know, you know, it's funny. um, I don't know how these po- what order these podcasts will come out in, but um right before you and I did this podcast,, uh, the last person in here who you met was Sheila Evans from HBO, who I used to work with at HBO. That was the last job I ever had. So that was in—I left that job in 1997, and I in—I'll tell you, August 30th, 1997. So now it's been 20 years and one and a half months since I've had a job, and I will say, at times, my anxiety levels have been so through the roof. It's been incredible. Like I don't know how I lived through it, but you know you do and you know hopefully hopefully i'll i'll continue to live through it cuz i i didn't really enjoy having a job
1: so, yeah some people
0: do by the way cuz it's that's that's their calculated risk
1: right there's a different i guess it's a different sort of stress and a different sort of anxiety when you don't you know a lot of people find comfort in having a a 9 to 5 job and they say you know this is my security and i don't want to have to worry about something outside of those hours um But plenty of other people say, no, you know, I just don't want to be stuck in an office all day or I don't want somebody else to dictate my schedule. And I find it incredibly freeing to not have to do certain things anymore that I can go out and do what I want with my time and my energy and make money in lots of different ways.
0: So, So Amy Morin, author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do and the more recent 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do and the eventual upcoming 13 Things Mentally Strong Entrepreneurs Don't Do once you figure out that book deal. Uh, I love your books. Everybody should buy them. Thanks for sharing so much like, uh, informa- like quality information here on this podcast. is really useful.
1: Well, thanks for having me back.
0: Hey, 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 hold on. Before you go, Don't forget, I'm giving out for free whatever copies I have left of the Side Hustle Bible. Again, I'm not publishing this on Amazon. I'm just giving it to you guys, uh, podcast listeners, newsletter subscribers, and the people who have already been interested in my writing, because I know you'll appreciate it. I know we're all interested in freedom and choosing ourselves, and I've put together this collection of 177 proven ideas that I know work i mean wait till you see the testimonial from the guy who wrote the forward it's uh it blew my mind when he wrote it so if you've ever wondered what life would be like if you were able to make money while you slept or while you were spending time with your family or wonder what it would be like to turn something you love into a new income stream or even find out what you love that you could monetize you need this book because i wrote it for you you can get it right now at jamesfreebooks Com. That's jamesfreebooks.com to claim your free copy of the Side Hustle Bible. Do it now. It's jamesfreebooks.com.